Copper Shores Community Health Foundation is proud to introduce you to Do Good Volunteer of the Month, Rick Freeman. Rick has been talking pickleball for years, and he has also been walking the walk for just as long. He is willing to do the behind-the-scenes work to make everything ready and welcoming when people arrive to play. He sets up, sweeps, prepares the courts, and much more. He gladly fields inquiries from locals and visitors interested in playing pickleball. If you know an incredible volunteer like Rick, go to dogoodcc.org and nominate them to be recognized as the next Do Good in the Copper Country Volunteer of the Month. Welcome back to Segment 2 of Copper Country Today. I'm Todd Van Dyke. We're brought to you by the Copper Shores Community Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at coppershores.org. The dissolution saga of Finlandia University continues, and uh, it's been a long and drawn-out process. I don't think it's quite uh, anywhere close to being over, but we're going to get an update now from the man who is acting as the receiver of the situation, uh, Patrick O'Keefe from O'Keefe and Associates. Patrick, welcome to the program. Look forward to our conversation here. Look forward to talking about it, too. Uh, Patrick, when I first learned that Finlandia was closing down, my first thought was, okay, they're going to file a bankruptcy, and the bankruptcy will be the method that they use to dispose of these assets. This is not a bankruptcy, but it certainly feels like it in some respects. Can you explain what this process is, and how is it different from a bankruptcy? What a great question it is. So, you know, there, there are um, numerous options in terms of liquidating an entity. You can use uh, the bankruptcy process. Chapter 7 um, is often used as a, a bankruptcy. A lot of people hear about Chapter 11s. Chapter 11s are usually reorganizations. And so in the case where there's a dissolution, um, cases that might initially file as a Chapter 11 um, get converted to a Chapter 7 and you know then are liquidated. And you generally don't operate um, within a Chapter 7. So there is a period of time where you would, um, you know, operate an 11 and convert to a 7. You also have the ability to uh, use either federal or state receiverships. Um, Michigan has a robust receivership act, which I think a lot of professionals uh, like to use because it does give um, some broad authority to the receiver. But there's also a number of uh, constraints and bells and whistles that, um, you know, have to be followed in order to avail yourself of the process. The advantages, you know, of the state uh, receivership are really, you know, the, the speed generally that receivers can move and you still have court supervision. The uh, many state court judges don't like receiverships. They feel like you should be in, in the bankruptcy arena. They're not, um, you know, happy when these uh, cases roll into their uh, courts on occasion, which is why they generally are assigned to judges in business courts, so people that have expressed um, a desire to handle um, complex, well, I'll call business cases. The federal receivership um, does provide some opportunities and really um, in some ways would be helpful uh, in the Finlandia case because we have a number of federal um, stakeholders like the Department of Education and the like who um, are not bound by state court decision. And in Finlandia's case, they've made that very clear that, um, you know, they have the ability to assert uh, what's called federal priority claims so that they can supersede, um, you know, things that maybe even lenders have done, you know, in terms of getting paid back for grants, funds, and things that they've lent out. And even though we operate um, with broad authority from the court, 
there are some things that the state court needs to approve for us, like um, dispositions of real estate. And so, you know, we we have a lot of decisions that we advise the court. We file monthly reports with the court. We're in front of the court, it seems like, every two weeks asking um, for permission or authority to do um, something that's necessary in the dissolution. And the state court judges, understanding that receivers function as the arm of the court, generally, um, you know, give us some broad authority. They may have questions on occasion as to why we're doing what we're doing. But, you know, they generally support the process. And so the only time you get into something that could be hairy is when uh, a federal agency uh, will state that they're not bound by the state court decision. So you go along thinking you've got something accomplished and, and done, and the federal agencies can unravel it. And so, you know, in some ways I wish this was in, in federal receivership, but we're not there. So it's a state court, and you know, we function within it. And I don't anticipate any problems, just headwinds. Is there additional oversight because this is a nonprofit? No. Okay. Uh, we saw that a few years ago when uh, the hospital here, the uh, the former nonprofit local hospital, was sold to a for-profit entity, and the attorney general's office was all over that because they wanted to make sure that nonprofit funds were being used uh, appropriately. The federal government does have some – Does go, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you raise an interesting point because the um, state attorney general's office is very active in this case. Um, because of the donor-restricted funds that were used at Finlandia. There is a, I believe it's a federal law, but one that the states generally implement called UPMIFA, which deals with, um, you know, not-for-profits and, and restricted funds. And uh, I, I don't remember exactly what it stands for. I probably look it up as, as we're talking here. But, um, you know, they have a acute interest in the recovery of um, uh, restricted donor funds. So, um, you know, that's where their interest lies, and, you know, they're, they're active in the case. Okay, restricted donor funds, I assume that would include uh, endowment funds. Finlandia did have a, a modest endowment in relation to some other colleges that I'm aware of. Are those endowment funds intact at this point, or have some of them been lost in some way, shape, or form? 100% of them have been lost. Where did they so go? They went into <laughs> into the operation of the university. They, they have not really had um, segregated uh, endowed funds for a number of years. And the, the law that uh, manages that is called the Uniform Prudent Management of Institutional Funds Act. And it really guides how... Uh, restricted funds are supposed to be used for uh, monies that are essentially donated to charitable institutions. And, you know, so the, so the oversight of that really comes through the Attorney General's office. But Finlandia, for gosh, I would say the last three or four years, has not really had any um, uh, funded, unused, um, restricted funds. Now, it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that funds that are given to endowments, the principal cannot be spent in that fashion. Have they crossed a line here? Well, um, you can spend them with the uh, acceptance of the donor um, for the use of those funds. So that, you know, there's another, I don't even want to say it's a gray issue, but let's just say it's an issue of dispute now as to whether or not the university 
physically went to each donor to say, yes, I know you provided funds for scholarship, but um, we really need the money to fund operating costs. Okay, so it's something that uh, may be sorted out or may not be sorted out by the time we get done with all of this. How much of this is just going to pass under the bridge because it's all history at this point? Oh, I don't believe for one minute that the Attorney General's office is going to let this pass under the bridge. Um, you know, I think there's a number of the targets in this, uh, let's say, misappropriation of these funds. Uh, you know, you've got the board who uh, came up with a very creative way to access those restricted funds by pledging them to banks um, for loans. So instead of uh, spending the endowment proceeds, they spent loan proceeds, and that was kind of a cute way of um, having access to liquidity to run the university. That claim um, against the banks could be as high as $6 million dollars. Of the twelve and a half million that the attorney general's office thinks has been misappropriated, the other monies, um, you know, I think were just spent directly, assuming that uh, you know they had some donor uh, acceptance of the use of those funds. Having seen the files, I'm going to say I'm not sure that that's true or not. Well, we'll see what the AG's office decides to do, I guess. Talking with Patrick O'Keefe of O'Keefe & Associates, he is the receiver overseeing the dissolution of Finlandia University and the distribution of its assets. What is your guideline as you go into this? What is the goal that you carry in terms of taking these assets and maximizing the return? Another good question. You know, so I have functioned as receiver and let's just say, more than 50 transactions. My office has probably done 50 to 100. And we are fiduciaries for stakeholders that would be impacted by our work. So, you know, oftentimes we get put in these positions because a secured lender um, wants independent oversight and some court supervision. And the receivership is a uh, much more cost-effective way to do it than uh, a bankruptcy, for instance. Uh, bankruptcies take a lot of time, uh, and they're very expensive. None of those uh, two scenarios are good for the recovery uh, to creditors. So who are my creditors in Finlandia? First and foremost, I have uh, teachers who deferred their pay to the summer. And I remember we got on, uh, Tim Pinow did an unbelievable job of trying to create liquidity to get through the school year. And the school year, you know, was defined as the graduation ceremony on May 6th or 7th. Uh, and they did that. But there were obligations to uh, faculty and staff beyond May 6th or 7th. And that's what we're dealing with. And those obligations relate primarily to salary and benefits that would have been due faculty and staff under deferrals um, through the summer for pay that was earned during the school year. And so, you know, first and foremost, um, I need to get the teachers paid. And I had a meeting with them on Monday after the graduation uh, that would attend over at uh, Hervin and, uh, in, the, in the auditorium there. And we, we had fairly robust turnout, probably 100, maybe 150 people. And I, I told them, you know, two things. One, my, my focus was to figure out how to get them paid as quick as possible, and two, um, you know, that if 
I, if they don't see that we're actively working the case or there, you know, they should be worried because then we've decided there's not enough proceeds to pay the administrative costs of the estate and still accomplish our goals of getting them paid. And, and they should also know that we have never not paid salaries. We have always, you know, to the extent that there's been uh, expenses that have been incurred on our watch, um, we have always paid those obligations. And these, while they were not necessarily incurred on our watch because they were earned previous to we got to the university, that we would be making every effort um, to get them paid. So, you know, that's been our focal point. The, the next body of creditors that always concerns us is the people in the, in the community that have extended credit to, in this case, Finlandia University, that have payables or, in their case, receivables that um, have not been paid, collected. And so we don't want the community hurt. And we're going to try to pay as many um, unsecured creditors as we can. I have negotiated with the state for a carve-out of proceeds that we get upon any of our litigation to create as a priority the payment to the faculty and staff and the unsecured creditors at my discretion. And so that's a big win because the Attorney General's office did not have to do that. So their interest in the proceeds is really, and this is where it kind of gets crazy and a lot of people don't understand this. And I can tell you, it was a little new to me um, as to their interest in the case. But the Attorney General then, their interest in these um, restricted and docked funds is to not necessarily, and I don't think under any circumstances, return it to the donors, um, but to use it to subsidize or compensate higher ed institutions in Michigan that were helpful in um, the teach-out or dissolution of the university. So I'll give you some examples. Okay. So Michigan Tech, for instance, took over the nursing program, um, bought some equipment from us, moved faculty and students over to, to them. They, they don't have a handout. They, they're not looking for any money for them. Matter of fact, they paid us a little money for some of the equipment. And But the state, as part of the recovery action on these endowment funds, could decide that as a result of continuing the higher education mission in Michigan, that there was a cost to Michigan Tech to do that and give them a portion of the proceeds um, to compensate them for that. Alma and Albion... I am told, took students from Finlandia and gave them uh, full scholarship. The students that transferred, um, I think, were only asked to pay uh, room and board uh, relative to their transfers. And so it would be conceivable that the state would allocate some money to those um, universities uh, for the cost of moving those students over. And the balance of that gets almost handed out like Halloween candy. I mean, they're they earmark it strictly for higher ed institutions, but it's under the discretion of the state as to where it goes. So we negotiated um, on behalf of faculty, staff, and creditors, saying our interest really isn't in handing out Halloween candy to higher ed in institutions in Michigan. There are people that have been hurt, and we want them paid. And quite honestly, it wasn't a, a big discussion. I mean, the, the state gets that, and they don't want to see you know, people hurt either. And so, but the, the mechanism of uh, creating a trust, of which I am the trustee for, so that these funds can be paid is of great benefit because Finlandia will have a lot of unsecured creditors 
um, that may not get paid. And an example of that would be perhaps some of the lenders who um, are mortgage lenders on these buildings that no longer have any great value. And so they could have uh, unsecured claims. Those claims would not attach to um, the funds that come about as a result of the litigation uh, for the uh, recovery of these uh, restricted endowments. Okay. So, you know, it, it, it's everybody's working hard to protect the people that will be hurt the most and can least afford to be hurt. All right. Patrick um, O'Keefe is the receiver handling the Finlandia uh, dissolution at this point from O'Keefe and Associates. Let's talk about some of those major assets. I know that some of them have already been sold. Uh, Hancock is purchasing a, a couple of parcels, including Quincy Green. Now, Hancock the city gave Quincy Green to Finlandia for a dollar not all that long ago. I'm assuming that you as the receiver do not have the right to look back at that and say, well, since you sold it to us for a dollar, we can sell it back to you for a dollar too. Yeah, there would be no reason for me to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because obviously you have an obligation to the creditors. Things have to go uh, on the market at uh, at fair market value. And uh, I understand that the football field is going back to the Hancock schools. There has been talk that some properties on the university may be abandoned at this point because they haven't found any suitors, any possible buyers. Is that true? And can you identify what properties those are? Yeah, I mean, we filed a motion about 10 days ago to the court and you know in terms of process you know we file items that we want the court to approve uh that, that we need to have the court approve and, and one of them is you know sales and disposition to real estate so there's a time lag before we can get in front of the judge um to have her rule on it and judge dragon chuck has been you know very timely and responsive when we do get in front of her, but there is a time delay uh, because of her docket as to how things move. So we advanced a uh, motion to abandon, and, and the reason for that, quite frankly, was we don't have any real interest in the properties because most of them have to be repurposed, which means they can't be used necessarily in the way they were used when the university had them. There's excessive cost to repurpose them. The buildings, I mean, Old Main is a good example, hasn't had anybody in it for eight or nine years, and um, it's been neglected. So somebody who wants to purchase Old Main, which is a nice historic structure and sits you know, right in the middle of the downtown area, is faced with having to spend a lot of money to put it in a uh, position where it could be used. The lenders, almost everything on the university is hocked. I would argue, beyond its full value sure. in light of what I just said. And so we offered to all the lenders to do an auction with a company out of Chicago, Keen Summit, who had an extensive track record of auctioning off university properties. We screened probably three or four different um, potential auctioneers for this and felt Keen was the most qualified. And we entered into an agreement with them for many of the buildings that we have been unable to sell. Now, keep in mind, we have probably, we had, I think, something like 20, maybe 25 properties, and we've sold or have pending deals on probably 15 to 18 of those. So, and it's the bigger ones that where the costs are more expensive that people are shying away from. You combine that 
lack of lender cooperation, and by the way, I also have uh, the Department of Education who has some blanket liens on uh, the campus, and you know, dealing with the bureaucracy of the federal government isn't always a pleasant experience. Really, uh, I'm, I'm uh, stunned but, by this. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I have to pick you up off the floor, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, combined with the fact that, you know, I'll give you an example. We had a, a offer from a New York uh, private equity fund with backing out of London. So when we got involved, we had a very extensive and broad reach on potential buyers. And we got a bite out of somebody out of New York. It gave us a $2.5 million offer for Finlandia Hall. I can tell you I haven't received a $2.5 million offer on all those probably six buildings on the North Campus in the aggregate. So we were pretty excited about it. They put up a deposit, fairly large deposit, and they went in and they did the due diligence. And, you know, they came back and said that their concerns were, one, the rehab costs, and they were going to convert the dormitory into a multifamily uh, project, which made a lot of sense. There's a need for housing, and it uh, functioned prior as a uh, as student housing. So you would think the redactive costs wouldn't be too excessive. But because of the, the uh, condition of the building, the lack of uh, experienced trades in the area, uh, they didn't want to take the risk. And we went back to them and said, you know, would you be interested in, in making a counteroffer? You know, it, it, we understand that you might have some of these costs because um, it's not the first time we've heard that. Um, is there a number that does make sense? And they said no. Whoa. So, so think about that. Yeah. So faced with the excessive costs that we're going to have with the upcoming winter months to, you know, provide security to these buildings, maintain them, heat them, and the like, and we really don't have the money to do that, we decided that we would be in a better position to abandon them and let the lenders who didn't want to cooperate with the auction deal with them. So that's where they will go. They will go into basically foreclosure and back to the lien holders. Correct. And, you know, we've offered. So, of course, when we filed the motion, you know, we kicked the hornet's nest, right? Because we got tired of talking. We've been talking to everybody for the last four months about the reality of this. And the outgoing CFO, who is very helpful. And by the way, the community has been very understanding and helpful in this process and, you know, trying to figure out what to, you know, what to do with this, you know, really disaster that's happened. And so we've had a lot of good conversations. But um, the prior CFO, uh, you know, gave us a uh, budget on the, the Judah building. Now, when I got on campus, and that, my background is in real estate and real estate development. Before um, I got into the turnaround consulting business, I, I was a CFO for a fairly large um, development company. And... I saw Judalon, and I saw this is a building that there's a lot of good options with. You know, former hospital building, bones are good, and, you know, the, then you scratch your head and say, okay, what are you going to do with it? And, you know, the, the issues are there's not a good redactive use for that size of building in the area. And so, you know, we talked to even the auction company, they viewed that as maybe a potential, um, shelter for veterans, um, shelter for homeless people, assisted living was a potential use. Um, you know, we talked to uh, Michigan Tech and others within the community about making it an incubator center. I mean, 
you know, from a pure development standpoint, you got a thousand engineers that are graduating across the river every year, and many of them like the northern Michigan lifestyle and, you know, might like to start a business or incubate a business in there. And MTech is, you know, trying to do that in a small way as, as uh, one of the owners of Jubila. And so, you know, we thought that there was some potential there. And the reality of it is there's no money available to really convert it to a, a use and combined with the fact that if there is money, you know, say at the federal level, it takes time to get it. Yeah. And it, that building has numerous liens on it. And so, you know, to get lenders, um, I think in that case, they're uh, the Department of Education and the EDA, to sit still and not be paid and have the uncertainty, it just didn't make any sense for us to keep holding it on, holding on to it and throwing Hail Marys, hoping somebody would get interested in it. And so, you know, these are the kinds of issues in, in buildings that we're dealing with. Now, since we filed a motion, you know, uh, a number of people have come out of the woodwork and say, well, can we make a deal? And you know, lenders included. And we're rethinking uh, whether or not we're going to actually go um, to the hearing on September 20th um, with this motion. We may actually delay it uh, for a couple weeks to see if we can't wrap up some of the negotiations that we're having. Um, with some of the lenders and people that are interested. All right, and I have to wrap it up here, Pat, because unfortunately we're out of time. I wish I had more time and we could talk more about this. It's a fascinating topic, but I do thank you for coming on the program and sharing that information, and I wish you the best as you continue through what I'm sure is a very challenging process. It is, but you know, if I tell people it's not our first rodeo, too, and we're problem solvers, and we figure this stuff out and, and do the best that we can under the circumstances for the communities that we, you know, that we work in.